0: Why didn't we listen? This is far worse than anyone could have imagined. The hour of judgment has come. Hey Cornerstone! Man, it's fun to be here with you today. I think we got a topic that's just super interesting for us to be talking about, talking about the book of Revelation together. I just want to do a real quick shout out to our campus at Santan and then also our campus at Scottsdale. Just glad you guys are here and with us today. And uh, we think we're in a journey. We think there's stuff that we're learning that's not just fun informationally, but has the capacity to change how we behave and how we live uh, our lives together. So uh, we've been doing this, and today we're going to jump into a period of time the Bible describes as the tribulation period. It's seven years in which uh, God is literally uh, giving this world a spanking. Uh, He's tried everything else. He says, Look, I've been kind, I've been patient. I've tried to be gracious and tell you the story of my son and and you just have refused you just have said forget it and now we're getting to the end I mean we're getting down to where time is incredibly short and we're about to uh, kind of pull the time card on this thing and you've got to get it now and so God then in this moment says so here's what I'm going to do I'm going to put you over my knee I'm going to spend seven years spanking you hoping hoping that finally your heart will break hoping that finally you'll, you'll give in and say, okay, I get it, I, I understand. Uh, if you uh, were here last week, you know, we talked about this idea that right now you and I live uh, in what is currently called uh, the church age. Um, and that right now the church is the key thing that God is working and doing His influence in the world through. That the church age is going to end uh, the next uh, major event that's going to happen uh, is a thing that we call the rapture. And the rapture, uh, just so you know, is not the second coming. Those are two completely different events. The second coming, and we'll get to that uh, in a couple of weeks, the second coming, Jesus actually physically comes to the earth. That's why it's the second coming. Like the first one, he came and touched the earth. Second coming, he will too. But the rapture, <clears throat> probably drew that wrong. Give myself some more room here. So here's the… we're in the church age. The rapture is a moment in which Jesus, the Bible describes, comes and meets us in the clouds. So He doesn't physically make it uh, here to earth, but in that moment He calls Christians out of this world. Uh, Christians are instantly caught up. The church is removed from this world, and that begins a seven-year period that we call the trib. It's… it's a… It's a week of years in which God is primarily focused once again on the children of Israel trying to call them to finally accept their Messiah. And the book of Revelation unpacks this period in history for us. Now, here's the thing I want to say out loud. Uh, the book of, of Revelation is hard to understand. There's just tons and tons and tons of pictures and metaphors that are in the book of Revelation. And, and you go, man, this is this is crazy because there's dragons coming up out of the sea and there's locusts flying around and you know what what in the world is happening here's what you've got to grasp as to why the language in the book of revelation is like it is it's because you've got a man john who is being given a vision and my best expectation understanding i think he's i think he saw what's going to happen the same way as if you and i looked at it on a tv screen i mean he saw the events the problem is he has no vocabulary to share with those people around him what he's… he's never seen a tank, Uh, let alone a helicopter. How how do you describe that to somebody living 2,000 years ago who doesn't even have an oven? How do you bring that into their terms? Think about that, maybe this will help. Imagine if you got teleported back in time just 150 years to the Civil War. And I want you to explain to somebody in a Civil War era the internet. I mean, think about that for a minute. How would you explain the internet to somebody living 150 years ago? Well, uh, there's these boxes. Uh, and the boxes have brains in them. Are we talking literal brains? Or are we talking figurative brain? What do we know? There are brains in them. And, and those boxes with brains are actually connected to other boxes with brains. And some of the boxes are big brains and some of the boxes have little brains, but they're all connected. And you can go and ask a brain a question. And that brain, if it doesn't know the answer, will talk to all the other brains, and then it will send you back a newspaper. <laughs> and you can read your answer. I mean, I, how would you explain that in any sort of terms that somebody living 150 Now now think about it, think about this. Now let's go back 2,000 years. And the person who's writing it, John, doesn't understand the internet. I mean, he's never seen that himself either. And so what he's seeing, he's doing his very best to translate into the common nomenclature of the day and explain to them what a helicopter is or what a nuclear bomb looks like to people who have no concept. And suddenly it begins to be dragons. And so you and I now are left to kind of unpack that together. And here's what you need to know it leaves you and I trying to fill in a lot of blanks and the chances are you and I will not be able to do this perfectly as we do it will probably get somewhat close but we probably will miss a few things here's what I am telling you though when these things begin to unfold when the tribulation when this moment happens and the actual events begin to occur these things that have been so hazy and fuzzy people in that generation will go oh my goodness That is the locust. That's what it is. You know, big old eyes. That's exactly what it is. And it'll be clear as day. It'll be like watching it in high def. And you ready for this? And it will be without mistake. There will not be one flaw in it. But you and I, nonetheless, are left at this moment to say, what was John trying to communicate? What did he mean when he said? And you and I are going to do our very best on that this morning to get as close as we possibly, possibly can. all right here's what you need to know Uh, at the beginning of what you and I call the tribulation it actually kind of opens up and unfolds with the appearance of the four horsemen of the apocalypse so I I know you and I have heard that all over the place sometimes we've seen things like that in movies and we've seen pictures me and you had no idea that the four horsemen are actually biblical that's stolen right out of the book of Revelation and it's actually the opening events of the tribulation uh, itself. Uh, The first horseman uh, described is white. Uh, This horseman is actually Antichrist. Now here's what you need to know. At the beginning of the tribulation, Antichrist is not in world power. He is one amongst many leaders. And the reality is, if you were living through the tribulation at the beginning, you probably would have a really hard time going, oh, there's the guy. What he is going to be, and what may set him apart, he's probably going to be exceptionally intelligent. He's going to be incredibly calm during the absolute chaos uh, that is getting ready to happen. Matter of fact, if you don't catch anything else that we're going to say together today, here's, here's what you ought to leave here knowing. I don't want anybody I love to ever have to see the tribulation and what's getting ready to occur, Uh, because it's tough. This is a moment of just absolute chaos. But the reality is, he's not going to be prominent at the time. Here's a couple guesses. Uh, One of my guesses is is that he's potentially Jewish uh, in some level, whether that's fully Jewish or partially Jewish. Here's why I guess that. Because during the early parts of the tribulation, the Jewish people will absolutely accept him as Messiah. And my guess is in order for that to happen, he's going to have to have that heritage. And the interesting thing is is that he's going to be an answer. He's going to be a genius uh, when it comes to economics uh, and to world order type stuff. Matter of fact, that's what's going to give him the seat at the table. Isn't it interesting that when the Jews rejected Jesus, they rejected Jesus for not being an economic and social leader. They didn't want a spiritual leader. They wanted somebody who would make their economy better and get them out from under Roman rule. And this guy will be everything they hope for the first time. It's why he'll be so popular. Uh, the second horseman uh, is red. And red stands for war. So somewhere right after the events of the rapture, this world's going to break out in war. And this shouldn't be necessarily overly surprising to you and me because any time that there is a gap or an absence of leadership, uh, men scramble for territory. Uh, It's just what we intuitively do. If you think back to as you and I tried to withdraw in some sort of an orderly fashion from Iraq, uh, how well did that go for us? And the reality is that as soon as there was that lack of accountability and that lack of leadership, warlords all rose up to fight for their piece of the pie. This is going to happen on a world level. And if we haven't had World War III by then, this is what that will be. Everybody trying to grab as much territory as they possibly can, as quickly as they can, in any devious way that they possibly can. Uh, The third uh, horseman of the apocalypse is black. And it represents famine. Uh, Matter of fact, Scripture basically tells us this. That the very basics of life, the things like food and, and, and things that takes takes to survive, will literally become 12 times more expensive during this period of time. So stop and think about that for a second. Last year, the average uh, gallon of milk in the U.S. cost $3.86 a gallon. When this happens, that same gallon of milk would be $46. So imagine, imagine in just an incredibly short time, the economy taking such an incredibly staggering hit that a gallon of milk would cost you almost 50 bucks. And then here's the deal. Uh, The guy who owns the gas station, when milk starts costing him $50 a gallon, guess what he does to his gas prices? He says, hey, I got kids, I gotta buy milk for, right? And when the gas guy raises his prices, guess what the TV repair, You, you realize, The effect of this on the economy, literally, the global economy will go in the basket in an incredibly, incredibly short amount of time, because the basics of life will become unthinkably expensive. And then, uh, the last horseman is pale green, Uh, and this is plague. Uh, There is some sort of disease or some sort of epidemic that's going to be unleashed in this moment, And uh, the Bible tells us that literally a quarter of the earth's population is going to die in an incredibly short period of time. Now, think about this for a moment. Think about how would you even accommodate that many bodies? Uh, The graveyards couldn't hold them. Uh, My best guess is we're talking massive burial. We're talking about digging ditches and we're getting people into those ditches as quickly as we can because we don't want the plague to spread. And, and you get a sense just in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation, and as a matter of fact, this is Revelation, in case you want to follow it, chapter 6, uh, that describes the four horsemen. Uh, just in the opening, you start to get the sense of the chaos that begins to just sweep the world uh, at, the, at the absence of the church and right after the rapture. It becomes a forum in which this guy begins to come up with what seems to be answers Uh, He he stays calm in the midst of the panic of the world and the world begins to coalesce and and turn their attention and their favor toward him. It literally becomes his road to the throne uh, for us. We told you already uh, that the tribulation in many ways is God spanking to this world that what he's doing in that moment he's he's not trying to be brutal Uh, he's not, he's, this isn't, this isn't about God trying to get even with anybody. It's literally that moment in which God is saying, look, I've tried everything else, and I, I'm doing whatever I can to get your attention and break your hearts, so that you would, for the first time, finally submit uh, to the Messiah and come to Him. And in the midst of this, uh, the Bible tells us In Revelation chapter 7, and guys, I just want to say this out loud. I know we haven't opened our Bibles yet because we're covering so much so fast. We're, there's a couple passages in just a minute. We're going to take and do them together. We're going to open it. But there's no way for us to read all this scripture in this room in this short amount of time. So again, if you want to look at it, it's Revelation uh, chapter um, 7. And it talks about the fact that God will call out 144,000 witnesses. Uh, They will come from the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember we told you that the tribulation is primarily a moment focused on calling Israel back to God. So 12,000 witnesses out of each of the 12 tribes will be sent out. And these guys are going to be like mini Billy Grahams I mean, these guys are just going to be so unapologetic about their faith in Christ and what's going on, and they're in that moment, they're going to be saying, hey, guys, you get this. This is the book of Revelation coming to life. This is, this is literally us living in the last moments, and you've got to figure out Jesus right now. And these guys will be bold, 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 bold and unapologetic. Good news. Good news is, is that because of this, Thousands upon thousands, even millions of people during the tribulation will turn their hearts to Jesus Christ. Uh, Anyone who was around, anybody remember the Jesus movement? Okay, you're all, okay, wow, I'm old. Okay, so late 70s, early 80s, the whole hippie movement had gone on. It was drugs and it was free love and everybody was going to live in communes and we were all going to eat granola together. And it was just this idea that was out there. And it was interesting because as that failed that whole ideology failed there became this incredible spiritual awakening and hunger and in the early you watch this thing that we called the jesus movement where literally people were coming to jesus uh, at unbelievable rates because what they had thought was going to work in life was suddenly falling up and they needed a spiritual input in their lives my belief is is that as the chaos of the tribulation begins to unfold, you're going to see people who say, look, I had all my faith in the economy, the economy's gone. I had all my faith in that my world would stay the same, and now people are dying left and right. And and in the midst of that, you're going to watch this incredible revival uh, begin to sweep across the world, and people will come to Christ by scores in the midst of the tribulation period. Okay? All right, now we get down to The judgments, the the unfolding of what is it like, what does the Bible describe happening during this period of time. So grab your Bibles. Uh, We're going to go to Revelation uh, chapter 8. This ought to be the easiest time you ever go anywhere in your Bible. It's the last book. So go to the very back of your Bible. The minute you clear the maps, you're in the book of Revelation, okay? So uh, Revelation chapter 8. And guys, I just want to say this so we get ready to go in, because I, I know some of us in the room, and you're, right now you're probably a little freaked out, and you're going, "Man, this is just." There's part of this that just feels so off to me that this loving, kind, and gracious God that I've that I've always learned about and taught about and thought about, and, and now He's spanking. I mean, he, and and these spankings are going to get really, really tough, and you're going, "You know, hey, what's that?" You, you get that God is not one-dimensional. You, you get you get that that there's more to God than just. Flowers and butterflies, right? Let, let me see if this helps. So, our adopted daughter from Kenya, Sylvia, is here right now. We, she came over for, for Christmas and she brought our granddaughter, Catalina. And it's been a blast. I mean, it's been so fun uh, to play with Catalina. Uh, I, I get to throw her up in the air and catch her, I get to be the monster and chase her around. I mean, it's been a blast, okay? So as far as Catalina's concerned, Papa is pretty cool. I come home the other day, we've been out of town, we, uh, traveling on a trip, I come home, uh, Catalina uh, has found my permanent markers. Uh, when I get ready to do a message, I've got uh, post-it notes I put all over the kitchen area and I've got all these permanent markers, they're different colors and Catalina found them. And Catalina decided that our home was too boring. <laughs> and she proceeded to take multiple markers and decor, uh, all the kitchen walls, the electrical plates, the French door that leads out to our patio I, I, everywhere. Can I just say that fun papa was nowhere to be found in that moment? I, you could see the stunned look on Catalina's face. Where did the nice guy go? And who is this guy? And, guy,. guy, guy, guy. And in that moment, uh, I did some sharing with my granddaughter. And uh, and in that moment, um, we taught her some life lessons. And I'm telling you, a can of Comet and a lot of elbow grease will take permanent eek off eventually. And so Catalina got to learn some great lessons. You get this moment. Although this moment has discipline, it still has love. This is still God trying to rescue us. And not so much us, but the people who are living during the tribulation. And, and that sometimes spankings are the most loving thing that a parent does. I didn't spank Catalina, I just made her scrub. Anyway, anyway you get the moment, right? So understand the context. So here we go. It's Revelation chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 6, or actually verse 7. Here's what it says. Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. Uh, The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up in this moment. So here we have, we have some sort of an event that happens, something falls to the earth that looks like hail, Uh, we don't know exactly for sure what it is, but we do know is is that it, it physically burns up a third of all of the plant life on the earth in that moment. So stop and think about where we already are. Stop and think about the economic collapse. Stop and think about the famine we're in already. And now we just reduce that by one third. So this just begins the thing tail spinning even that much more out of control. If you've ever lived in an area where there's been a major burn off, uh, the next thing that gets you is when the rain comes the next season and suddenly now all of that soil that's no longer held together by the roots of the plants and now you have huge mudslides So you can imagine what's happening uh, in this moment on the earth. Back to the passage. Uh, Verse 8. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain ablaze was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures of the sea died, and a third of the ships in the sea were destroyed. And so now John says something, something that looked like a mountain on fire, you know, fell into the ocean. And we don't know, uh, is it possible that this is an asteroid? Uh, Is it possible that this is uh, an event in which an asteroid comes, hits the ocean, and as a result of that, uh, one-third of all of the fish in the ocean are killed? Uh, The tidal waves that come out of that sweep over harbors and ships are put into ruin. And John describing it says, it it was as if, and so here's what I don't know, does does the ocean actually turned to blood and I don't I don't know that answer because here God could I mean right God could God could just say hey we're just gonna turn it to blood he did it with Moses right so he could just say hey, it's blood is this that asteroid hitting the seabed and now all the soot is coming up and now it has a red I don't know I don't know here's what I do know when this moment comes The people living in that moment go, oh my goodness, that's the mountain John talked about. There went a third of our ships, and there went a third of the ocean's living creature. And look, it looks just like blood, because it will unfold exactly as John said. Back to the passage. Verse 10, the third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on a third of the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Now, we don't know again. We're still trying to figure this out. Is it possible this is a nuclear event? Is it possible that a man living 2,000 years ago, trying to describe what it looks like to see a nuclear missile coming down to hit the earth, would describe the flame coming out of the tail of that as if it were a star coming to earth? And isn't it possible that a nuclear event would turn and contaminate anything in its area, thus a third of the fresh drinking water now being bitter and capable of killing people who drink it? I I don't know. I'm trying to understand John 2,000 years ago. But how interesting is it that you and I live in a time when that could unfold, when that sounds plausible to us? Uh, Verse 12, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night, okay? So again, we're not sure exactly what this is, but if it was nuclear, like we just talked about, is it possible now that the fallout, the plume of dust and unsettledness from having been through a nuclear event is now covering the earth? And that it's saying that a third of the sunlight is now diminished. It's like everything is in shadow right now. And it's hard to see the stars and the, it's hard to see the moon because of all the soot that's sitting up in the atmosphere. And again, we don't know, but... Okay. And think about this. If that were to happen, think about already. We've already lost a third of all the vegetation. We're already in a famine. And think about what the lack of sunlight now begins to cause worldwide. For everybody, again, we've said, you don't want anybody you love to be anywhere near this. Back to the passage, uh, verse thirteen. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, "Woe, woe, woe!" To the inhabitants of the earth, because of the trumpet blast about to sound. You go. The eagle says, "You haven't seen nothing yet. Uh, it gets worse from here." Uh, about to sound by the other three angels. Chapter 9, verse 1, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet. I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Uh, When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of the scorpions of the earth. They were told, do not harm the grass, of the earth, or any plant or tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So, this is an interesting turn of events. Everything else that's happened up until now has been generic. In other words, everybody has experienced it. This event is the first event that becomes specific, and these, whatever they are, that are coming out of the pit, these locust-looking things, are only given power to hurt or to affect people who have refused to accept a Savior, who are following the Antichrist. Uh, verse 7, the locusts look like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, uh, they wore something. Oh, I'm sorry, we, I skipped some. Uh, go back to verse 5. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion that strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not be able to find it. And they will long to die, but death will elude them. How many of you have ever been stung by a scorpion? Okay, so you've lived in Arizona longer than six months. So, here's the deal. So, scorpion stings are no fun, but you realize this is on steroids, because as I was laying on the couch after being stung by a scorpion, I had no desire to die. I did not say, just kill me now. And yet, this says, the agony these people will experience through this event will be bad enough that they will long to die and will not be able to. Now, down to verse 7. Here we go. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth was like lion's teeth. got to remember, John's trying his best to describe. Uh, They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails, they had the power to torment people for five months. They had his king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, that is, destroyer. The first woe is past, two others are yet to come. So here's the deal. We don't know. Uh, this is an interesting uh, moment. There are some Bible scholars who have looked at this description of the locusts. Uh, having uh, wings that sound like thundering horses, having uh, the flat chest plate that's like a locust, Um, having teeth uh, like a shark, and said, you know what, we think this is a helicopter. I mean, stop and think about, uh, very often on our helicopters we paint, you know, kind of that shark's mouth type of a thing, and if you're John trying to describe the sound of a helicopter, wouldn't you say it was like chariots' thunder? So they've said, we think this is potentially, think about the tail of a scorpion, very helicopter-like. I don't know. I don't think so. Okay, I don't think so. I think this is probably the first time in the Book of Revelation that something that is happening that is purely supernatural. In other words, you got to remember these these things are given the power only to strike those who have refused to take uh, and follow Christ. And I, if you think about everything else that's happened, the earthquakes that have happened so far, the famine that's happened so far, the plagues that have happened so far, the asteroids coming out, you can explain everything else as either being a natural disaster or being man-made. And, that, and I, think, I think up until now, Uh, Antichrist uh, and the enemies of God have been able to say, no, you know, this is global warming on steroids. This is just the mess we've made of the world. This is all about men fighting each other and launching nuclear. Everything is explainable until this moment. And I believe this is the first moment in which something is so supernatural in content that you cannot possibly explain it except that God is involved and that God is disciplining the world. And here's the interesting part of it. Even with this moment, they will refuse to follow God. E- even in this moment, they will shake their fists and say, no, absolutely not. And you and I want to, and I go, guys, wait a minute. The rest of it you could explain, but I mean, this is so clear. This is supernatural. How can you keep denying God? How can you keep turning your back? How can you keep fighting Him? I mean, He's winning, right? How can you keep resisting God? You realize we shouldn't be that stunned. Because the reality is you've seen people do this over and over again. The truth is, we've done this. Something happens in our lives that we think is so unfair and we we lose a job. One of our children ends up sick. Somebody we love dies. And in that moment we go, hey, wait a minute. If there was a loving God, how could this be happening to me? No way, no way, no way. This has nothing to do with God. This is just random horribleness that's going. No, no, no. And, the, and, and truth be told, if God is responsible and if God is doing this, I don't want anything to do with that God. And you and I should not be stunned that in the midst of a spanking, there will be those who instead of softening their hearts, will instead stand in defiance and say, absolutely not, I will not, I will not, I will not turn to God. Back to the passage chapter 9, starting in verse uh, 13. Here's what it says. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming uh, from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. And it said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for the very hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. So now we're going to lose an additional third of mankind. And the number of the mounted troops was twice... 10,000 times 10,000, I heard their number. Twice 10,000 times 10,000 is 200 million troops. 200 million. You realize the entire population of the United States is only 300 million. Who in the world could field an army like that? And it's interesting because I think the Bible tells us. Ready? Let's go back. Verse 17, the horses and the riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery, red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire and smoke like sulfur. Heads of lions, fire out of their mouths like sulfur. Remind you of any country? What about China? If you think of the national symbol of China, a dragon, wouldn't it be the face of a lion with fire coming out of its mouth? And isn't it interesting that the colors, red, deep blue, and yellow, have long been associated with China? And China could field a 200 million pre- China right now is 1.3 billion people. Isn't it interesting that Scripture potentially is talking about a nation that at the time the Bible was written didn't even exist? Back to the passage. Verse 18, a third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. Probably, I mean, you think about it, rocket launchers, tanks, maybe even nuclear involvement. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, and in their tails they were like snakes, having heads with which they inflicted uh, injury. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by the plagues, still did not repent of the works of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons, the idols of gold, silver, bronze, uh, stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or of their thefts. You realize that what you and I have just blitzed through is only one half of the judgment. We've only gotten to the midpoint in the tribulation, and the world is already in chaos. So the question comes, hey, whoa, 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 what, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian during all of this? I mean, what would it be like to be here and be someone who only figured out Jesus after uh, the rapture? And actually the Bible tells us, so jump over right here in Revelation, but go back to Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9, Uh, here's what it says. Revelation chapter 7, this this is what it means to be a believer during this period of time. Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9, it says, after this, talking about John, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, and people and language standing before the throne of the Lamb, before Jesus. Now think about this for a second. John just counted 200 million. And he says of this crowd, you couldn't, you couldn't begin to count them. This, this crowd is massively too big. You can't even number the number of people that are in this crowd, okay? <clears> okay. <throat> These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation, who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You get what he just told John. These are the Christians who have died during the tribulation for their faith. And what we know is, is that there will be so much anger, so much angst, leveled at believe i mean we may be made the scapegoats and they say hey the whole reason god's doing this is because of you uh, we may just look like spiritual lunatics during that period of time and they just go look would you just shut up and so whatever that is we may get blamed for the economy it's your fault you were the ones running the uh, we don't know but what we do know is much like what happened with hitler and the jews during world war ii will happen with the christians during the tribulation we will be christians will be the absolute focus of hate and will be martyred by the millions a number that could not be counted for their faith. Which leads you and me to some interesting conclusions. When you and I, when you and I think it's hard to live for Jesus right now, because, because our co-worker kind of sneered and laughed at us, because we lost some court decisions recently, you, you, you realize we, we haven't even come close. The suffering for Jesus. And isn't it amazing how intimidated we are and how silent we become? And guys, we haven't even begun. We haven't paid anything to follow Christ. Second thing. Nobody you love, anybody that you have any care for, do you want to ever see the tribulation? And the only hope for them is this, that before these events unfold, and guys, I don't know, I've already said, I, I don't know. Anybody that would tell you they know when it's gonna happen would be a liar. But I do know that you and I are closer than any generation has ever been before. And the only hope for our friends and the people we love not to have to see this, the surest hope, would be that you and I would share Jesus with them. I mean, guys, think about this. How thrilling would it be if the rapture happened in our lifetimes? but the people that you loved the most and cared about the most were in heaven missing this because you were courageous enough to tell them about your Jesus. How how fulfilling would that be for you? How thankful would they be for you? No wonder Scripture says everyone who has this hope in them lives a little bit differently for Christ. Let's bow our heads. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we... We stand in a moment, uh, and God, in some ways, our hearts ache today to think that this world has become so hard to you, that our witness has become so ineffective, that the only answer is going to be a spanking, that you'll have to put this world on your knee and and say, look, I'm I'm not going to be done until your heart gets soft. I've got to get your attention because time is running out. God, would you make us more like the 144,000? Would you make us bold witnesses for you who, who would live our Christian walk out loud so that the people around us, the people we care about, would have every opportunity to know Jesus before the rapture? God, thank you that you didn't leave us in the dark. Thank you that you filled in so many gaps for us. God, help us to live well because we know it. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.